Now we come to Genesis 2. This focuses on the creation of Adam and Eve. At this point, we're given their names. Now we have this male and female from chapter 1. And now what the narrator is doing is zooming even more on the creation of humans. All of this shows that humans are the apex. Not only do humans, remember, if you spend more time, whatever you spend the most time talking about or the most time doing something, that's the most important thing, minus things that you're forced to do, you know, like work or taxes. So, but whatever you, through your own free will and your own free choice, spend the most time doing, the most time talking about, then that is the most important thing to you. So when God spends more time in chapter 1 talking about the creation of male and female and uses a poetic structure, and one of the things I forgot to mention, there's also, there's three lines in verse 127. There are three lines, and then each line has seven syllables in the Hebrew. So three is symbolic of redemption, and seven is symbolic of completion. So by having three lines with seven syllables in the Hebrew in each one, then what he's saying is that humans are the completion of the redemption of creation, where creation is finally ordered and good because humans are going to maintain the order. By the fact that he spends more time on the creation of humans in chapter 1 and puts in a poetic structure and uses that symbology of 7 and 3, shows you that humans are the focus. But then he zeroes in and zooms in more on the creation of Adam and Eve again and he doesn't describe the sun, the moon, the stars, and the plants, and all that kind of stuff. He describes the creation of Adam and Eve, showing you that this is the true point. This is the true point. So it's in chapter 2 that he focuses on the creation of Adam and Eve as humans in their placement in the garden. That idea is the biggest idea. Adam and Eve being created and placed in the garden. Now the word Adam, or Adam, but it's Adam in Hebrew, Adam means man or humanity. It can mean man or humanity. And Eve means life. So God is creating humanity and life. And together they co-rule. The two most important things that Yahweh created were the land and the humans. The fact that he spends more time on the creation of the garden and the land and the creation of humans and that he links them directly together. And this is what we're going to talk about next is that he doesn't link humans with the sun. He doesn't link humans with the plants. He doesn't link humans with the sea or the sky. He links humans with the land. That means that these two things are the most important things. So the three most important things in all of the creation account and the three most important things in the entire Bible is Yahweh, humans, and land. The whole Bible, these are the three ideas. Every story you read. It's about Yahweh, humans, and the land. And God is going to make a covenant with humans and the land together. He's going to make a covenant between humans and the land. And these three things are intrinsically linked together. And they're inseparable. And to take one away leads to death. In fact, when these, this, the link between these three things get broken, God says, we have died. We have died. Because death is not croaking. Death is separation. But we'll talk about that when we get to Genesis 3. In the pagans' accounts of creation, the first thing that appears of the Kadok waters is this cosmic mountain. So there's this watery abyss, and the first thing that begins to rise out is this cosmic mountain. This mountain begins to grow up out of the sea. And it is on the mountain that the gods then appear. 
and the gods rule on this mountain way, way far up in the sky. They're completely separated from humans. And they don't come down from the mountain, and humans can't go up the mountain. And they rule from this. And even in the Egyptian mythology, this is called the Bin-Bin. And the first thing that appears is this pyramid of land that comes out of the water. And then the god that appears out of that is Ra. And Ra is the sun god. And so the sun sits on top of the pyramid as a circle. And that's why you have, in Egyptian accounts, you see in their, um, high, um, their paintings, you see this pyramid with the sun at the top because that's the beginning of life. And it's also why the pyramids are their temples. And the pyramids were originally uncapped. And the sun, the idea is the sun. If you line it up right, the sun will sit on top of the pyramid. And that's why you have the all-seeing eye from the Egyptian account, the pyramid on the dollar bill with the eye in it because it represents the creation and the God. But humans aren't in that because in most creation accounts, well, all creation accounts, humans are an afterthought. Humans are a mistake. And the Egyptian creation account, Ra starts crying and his tears hit the soil and humans pop out. And they're like, oh, well, I guess we can make them slaves. And that's the way they do it. And then in the Babylonian creation account, Marduk, the god of the Babylonians, who you also know who will eventually be Baal and the Canaanite creation account in the Bible, who's a storm god. Both of these gods are storm god, and eventually you know him as Zeus, the storm god, and eventually he gets renamed Jupiter, and eventually he gets named Thor. So this creation counts, yeah, this god. And what he does, this Marduk, is he battles the chaos monster. It's his mom, by the way. And so when he kills mom, because mom's trying to kill him first, so she started it first, so she's trying to kill him. He finally kills her, and then he rips her apart, her dead corpse, and he takes half the corpse and throws it into the air to become sky, takes the other half of the corpse and throws it on the ground to become the sea, and then out of the corpse, the dead rotting corpse, comes the land and his mountain that he rules on. And then he comes out of it, too, because he came out of mom before she died, so he's chaos, too. So everything's chaos. So then they realize, hey, we need servants and slaves. So they take all these serpents of mom that were mom created to kill people, or not people, but gods. And they kill the serpents, and they cut them open, they bleed them out in the soil, and humans pop out, and they tell the humans to feed them and serve them. In atheism and evolution, we're just a random mistake of evolution. In every creation account, you're an afterthought, or you're created to be slaves, or you're a mistake. But yet, with God, it's intentional. It's not an accident. It's intentional. The first thing you notice is when God creates the land, the garden, the land doesn't keep rising, 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 rising up into the air as this giant mountain that God's on top of. The land is flat. It's not a cosmic mountain. It's his cosmic land. And what God's first and foremost trying to communicate to you is, I'm not going to remove myself from you so far away that you never have access to me. I'm on the cosmic mountain, so to speak, and it is flat and level, and it's a garden, and I'm going to place you on that mountain right there and with me. Even when we get to Mount Sinai, God shows up on the cosmic mountain of Mount Sinai, but knows that he's only on that mountain because humans have sinned, and their sin is what separates them. But then he invites them to come up the mountain to him. A lot of people miss this because the people screw it all up. But he says, come up the mountain. I want you to come up. I, I'm going to redeem you. And the humans are like, no, your voice is too scary. We don't want to hear your voice. Moses, you talk to us instead of God. They, they mess up. They're the ones who mess up going up on the mountain. 
And then when we get to the prophets, remember, God talks about rebuilding the cosmic mountain one day, and all the nations will come up onto the cosmic mountain with God. This is the idea. God is creating a cosmic land, a plateau, if you want to call it that. And he's going to put humans in it with him. This is what he describes, and this is called the Garden of Eden. Notice it is not the garden that is called Eden. It's the Garden of Eden. So Eden is this territory, and the garden is in the eastern part of Eden. And the idea is in the ancient world, kings would build these giant palaces, and then they would build these arboretums or gardens, like the secret garden kind of thing, or Dawes Arboretum out in Newark, or other arboretums. And not like a little garden where you grow vegetables. But, and he, they would build them so that when they look out their palace, they can enjoy the garden. And this is very common in palaces, even like in England and France and Spain. Louis XIV all had those big giant gardens at the palace and that kind of stuff. God has this palace, so to speak, and then in Eden where he's dwelling, he's going to plant this little garden where he can hang out with Adam and Eve and have a relationship with them. He begins to create them. What he does is it says that he yassard the humans. Now the word yassar is like the words that are used of a potter putting his hands on the clay and fashioning it with intentionality and love. And everything that God created, he spoke. But the only thing that he puts his hands on is humans. And he creates humans. He yassars them. And he creates them with intentionality, with intimacy, with touch, with love that he does not do with everything else in creation. Now, the word for Adam is Adam, and the word for land or soil is Adama. If you add an A to the end of Adam, you get Adama. What God does is he reaches down into the Adama, the soil, and he pulls Adam, humans, out of it, and then he breathes life into the soil, the Adama, so it becomes Adam, and then he takes the Adam, man or humans, and he places them in the Adama to rule over the Adama, the soil. And this is a direct link. He literally takes humans out of the soil, breathes life into the human, and then places the human back into the soil again to rule over it. Nothing else in creation is created out of something else except for humans, out of the land. We are directly linked to the land. And we have this symbiotic relation with the land that if the land dies, we die. We poison the land. We poison ourselves. If we become poisoned with sin, then we abuse and poison the land in return. And this is why we have problems today. We have abused the land and it's become poisoned and now it's poisoning us back because we have a symbiotic relationship with it. And we are called to take care of the land to rule over the land, provide for the land, maintain the land, to keep it being a garden. But with sin now, we destroy our gardens, and we asphalt them, and we use burn them for resources. And I'm not saying you can't ever burn anything in creation for resources, or you would never have fires, but that abuse of it, that abuse, the stripping of it. This is the link that God creates. No other two things are linked together. In fact, when God says, now that you have sinned, and rebelled against me, you will die. And from the soil you came to the soil you'll return. Eventually, because you failed to rule over creation like you're supposed to, and you failed to take care of it, then the creation will kill you and reclaim you as consequence, as judgment. Unless there's a resurrection. 
unless there's a resurrection. This gives humans authority over the land. He tells them to rule and subdue the land. This means that these three things are the most important things. Now, this becomes the justification for everything that Yahweh does with humanity. Because when you go through, this is also why it's called the redemption of humanity and creation. When you go through the Bible, God is interested in redeeming the animals and the creation as well, not just humans. Now, don't misinterpret that. When we think of redemption, we think of the gospel presentation. And I don't mean like God is going to redeem the animals by like, you should all go out and witness to cows and convert birds to Jesus. St. Francis of Assisi did that. He actually like went out in the woods and shared Christ with the birds. So at least he's faithful. You never know. That's not what I mean by redemption. Redemption, I mean by taking it back, restoring it back to what it was supposed to be. So it's producing life, like redeeming your coupons or when you're redeeming your food stamps. God, all throughout the Bible, is very interested in restoring the land and animals back to what they originally were supposed to be and our relationship with that. There is a direct symbiotic link between us and the land. And you're going to see this all throughout the Bible because God is going to kick them out of the garden, which brings death. And he's going to promise Abraham a promised land where he can bless them. And then he's going to kick them out of the land in exile because of their sins, but he's going to promise to restore them. And even God, Jesus talks about a new land that he will create one day. And the prophets talk about the Messiah creating a new land. And then the land also produces fruit. And we see this over and over again throughout the Bible, the olive tree and the grain and the fig tree and the vineyards and all these images of the land producing fruit that gives us life. And so we are meant to give life to the land by working and tilling it. And the land then gives us life in return by producing fruit. And that's the idea. That's why Genesis 2 begins, now when there were no vegetation, no shrubbery in the world and God had not created humans yet. And you're like, wait a minute. In chapter 1, he created vegetation first and then humans. Now in chapter 2, he's saying that vegetation came after humans. Which one is it, God? Make up your mind. Ah, in chapter 1, it says he created vegetation. But in chapter 2, the word shrubbery and the idea of plants actually communicates the idea of fruit-bearing plants or orderly shrubbery, like trimming shrubbery to look like something. And what he's saying is, before Adam and Eve were created, creation was wild. But then when he created Adam and Eve, then they could subdue, prune, maintain the plants to produce fruit. If anybody worked with like apple trees, peach trees, vineyards, grapes, that kind of stuff, they don't produce fruit unless you actively prune them and do things. Fruit actually, in grain, the fruit of a grain, cannot really produce vibrant, luscious, life-giving, nutrient fruit without human involvement. So chapter 1 is just talking about vegetation in general. Chapter 2 is saying that there's no fruit-bearing plants, so to speak, yet, because there's no humans to prune, to actively. So the land cannot produce life without us, and we are to give life to the land. Yahweh puts them in this garden of Eden, which is portrayed as a temple of Yahweh. All creation is described as the temple of Yahweh, and the Garden of Eden is like the Holy of Holies, where Yahweh dwells. Thus, heaven and earth are joined together in the Garden of Eden. By God entering into the Garden, heaven is in the Garden. Heaven is a place 
but it's only a place of heaven because God is there. Wherever God is, that's heaven. Heaven is a very literal place, a concrete place that people go to and they live there and dwell there and God lives there. If God chose to make his place in the bottom of the sea, that would be heaven. If you decide to make it in your trailer, that would be heaven. Wherever God is, that's heaven. Because heaven is a place where there is no sin and death and everything is orderly and life-giving. Wherever God is, that's what it is. And whenever God enters into something that is not orderly and something that is sinful, then that is driven away from him. It's driven away from him like Don's soap hitting grease in a pan just drives it away or the light turning on and driving the darkness away wherever God goes that's heaven so when God enters into creation it becomes heaven and earth together that's why it's called the fall because if you have heaven and earth together and then it falls it becomes separated this is why C.S. Lewis wrote the book called the great divorce he's talking about heaven and earth being separated from each other because heaven and earth are now divided. They're separated from each other. They're divorced from each other because of sin. So God originally created this to be one and the same. We were created to be spiritual, material beings, walking in a spiritual, material realm with God and a good, loving, intimate relationship. So that means that if God is dwelling in this garden, it is like the Holy of Holies. It is the temple of God. It's the dwelling of God. 